Hey, everybody. Welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Katie Weaver. Hey, Katie. Hello. How's it going? Oh, good. You know, gosh, we have a big case, don't we? Today? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We have been We're firmly right down in. the rabbit hole. Yeah, we have been firmly down the rabbit hole and we don't even have time for any chit chat because we want to jump right in to this. Yes. Yep, we got a lot Y'all to say. You're familiar with this name, but you've never heard us talk about him. So, yeah. Today's episode is Israel Keys. Yeah, probably know who he is, but we're going to we're going to go deep on him, let's just say. We're going deep on him today. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a lot about him and the things that he's done and some weird similarities he has to uh, Ted Bundy and also to us. <laughs> yeah. Creepy. So let's get right with it. Uh, Israel yeah. Keys was born on January 7th, 1978. He was born in Cove, Utah, to a large Mormon family. WTF, yeah. my friends. <laughs> is this weird or what? I mean, how what often do we end up, We unintentionally end up talking about Mormons on this show all the time. I mean, we sometimes it's intentional. We're not really doing it on purpose. It just, they I, come to us. I didn't even actually realize this until I started doing a deeper dive on Keys. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't either. So he was the oldest of 10, correct? Yeah. He was. And he, his family, oh, he was the second of 10. That's right. So they didn't stay Mormons very long. From somewhere between the ages of three and five, they um, deconverted left the Mormon church and joined a radical form of fundamental Christianity. And they moved to Colville, Washington. Mm-hmm. Now remember there are 10 children in this family. They lived in a one room cabin cabin with no electricity or running water. And this was in like the early eighties, like, what yeah. the hell, right? Can you fathom that? No, yeah. I, I cannot. And so then... Keys is our age. Yeah, yeah. Keys is our age. younger than me. Yeah, exactly. So we grew up in similar areas. You know, we aren't mm-hmm. that far from Colville, Washington. Yeah. It's, you know, this was definitely an intentional choice on his parents' parts. Oh, yeah. So they joined a Christian church or a couple of them that were super white supremacist, mm-hmm. which I have to say, sadly, is not that unusual in this area. Yeah. The craziest part about it is that they were neighbors and friends with uh, Chevy Kehoe. Do you remember who Chevy Kehoe was? Mm-mm. Is? I don't know. Is he dead? Convicted uh, white supremacist murderer. He's serving three consecutive life sentences for kidnapping, torture, and murder of William Muller and his family. Good Lord. Yeah, and they were neighbors and friends. Yeah. Like, clearly, whatever they were doing was breeding serial killers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, Keyes decided to become a Satanist when he was in high school and renounced Christianity. And, you know, I don't know. The whole Satanist thing, not really a thing. It's really yeah. kids who want to shock their fundamentalist families say stuff like that. 
we grew, yeah. we always grew up around kids that decided to become Satanists. Yeah. Because they were, you know, pissed off at their Mormon parents. We, we right. That was like, just swinging to the other side of the pendulum to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even so, when but, we had our store, we'd have teenagers come in and be like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a Satanist. And we'd be like, really? What does That's that interesting. Mean? So what, is, yeah. What do you believe then? What do you, what does that mean? They had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not at all. They didn't freaking know. They did not yeah. know. Yeah. But he was kind of trying to get away from his parents' fundamentalist roots. But, you know, I got to say that he got raised with some really hateful rhetoric. Oh, yeah. That I feel like mixed in with his personality disorder and mental health issues mm-hmm. really kind of colored his view of human life. Yeah. Didn't we say? So he went in. Oh, say, say what? I said, I think that's true without yeah. a doubt. Just looking at it, I think, you know, mm, this kind of did because he didn't have much. He really didn't care about human life as, as no. most, you know, psychopaths don't. But it does yeah. kind of make you wonder where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Now, Keyes started getting in trouble when he was about 10. Now, have we heard this before? He started breaking right. into people's houses and stealing stuff. Sound familiar? Yep. We've heard this from a bunch of other serial oh, killers. Yeah. He also was lighting, uh, lighting fires. Yes. And torturing animals. Yeah. Yep. He's got the triad there. Also yep. likely got the um, symptoms of sexual abuse, mm-hmm. especially the fire lighting. So we don't know a ton about that time in his life. No. Other than his behavior was definitely pointing to problems. Definitely. Yeah. So he did um, take a shot at being in the military. Mm-hmm. He went into the military um, in 1998. So he was in military from 98 to 2001. He only stayed for three years. But you know what was interesting? He told... When when he was admitting to some of his crimes, he kind of mentioned that he didn't start killing until after he left the military. Uh-huh. I kind of feel like he knew he'd get caught when he was still in the military. Yeah. But he did serve at Fort Lewis and Fort Hood, and then he was in Egypt for a short time. Mm-hmm. Makes me wonder if there are any unsolved murders in Egypt that I might want to, you know, take a look at. Right. No kidding. Yeah. He did have a real drinking problem and had, had had a drinking. He started drinking when he was around 10. Again, like we, how many serial killers we should compare. Mm-hmm. They all started all this stuff at about 10. Mm-hmm. I know it's pretty wild. Well, yeah. and in fact, the only trouble he ever got in, in the military was a DUI. Right. Right. He was really kind of a model soldier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people thought at the time. Well, and was well-liked. Yeah, well-liked. People didn't really expect this of him. Yeah. Um, didn't really see anything coming while he was in the military. hmm So he got out of the military. And, you know, he says he didn't start killing till after he left the military. But there is um, a murder in 1996 that a lot of people do attribute to him, a young girl. Right. That. Maybe he did it. We don't know. We'll probably never know, unfortunately. Yeah. So after the military, he 
moved to Alaska and opened, well, okay, not before that, he was in Washington. But he did get married and he had a daughter. Mm-hmm. And then he left that woman. Well, and because, quickly on that, mm-hmm. he, they were living on the Maka Indian Reservation. Yes, that's what I was trying to remember the name of it and couldn't remember. Yeah, they were living on that Indian Reservation. Which I find fascinating considering the his white supremacist roots. Yes. And he did really disavow his family's beliefs, it seems. You know, mm-hmm. and there's really no pattern of uh, like racism in his killing. No, it's totally random. However, I can't find any proof that his daughter and and the mother of the daughter are actually Native American. Right. Uh, in fact, uh, it actually looks like they are not, which yeah. is also, it's all interesting, but it's interesting to me that he lived for quite a while on a res. Yeah, he did. Very strange. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe we ought to be looking at some cases there. Oh, yeah. Um, so well, then he... of MMIW, probably. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So then he meets a woman online in Anchorage and he takes his daughter to Anchorage and moves in with this girlfriend mm-hmm. and he starts his own construction business in Alaska. And this is in 2007. So he works as a handyman and a contractor and a construction worker, which becomes very handy for him because he can just be, you know, on a job whenever he's mm-hmm. out to kill someone. Right. So one of the weird things that Keyes did is he buried these, what he called kill caches mm-hmm. all over the U S Yep, and he kept track of where they were. So they looked like this. If you're watching the video, they are a, um, a, a home Depot orange bucket. Oh yeah. Five gallon bucket. Yeah. Five gallon bucket. And in the bucket is like a broken down gun. And a silencer and a bunch of um, ammunition, basically whatever he would need to kill someone. Mm-hmm. So he says that he buried these all over the U.S. So that whenever he decided he was ready to kill somebody, he would just travel to one of the areas where he buried one, dig it up, go use it, put it back. I don't know for sure. This and, is so bizarre to me for so yeah. many reasons. Oh, Drano. He put Drano in oh, every yeah. one in case Drano. he needed Drano to dispose of a body. Right. These guns and the silencers and the ammo and the equipment, that is extremely expensive. Yes. And he, we don't know how many of these kits he assembled and buried throughout the U.S. So that's one mm. part of this that boggles my mind. The mm-hmm. other part of it is, can you imagine digging one of these up? No. You know, it's it that one slays me. You know, that the fact that it's possible that, you know, for time immemorial, occasionally one of these is gonna surface in some yeah. kind of excavation. Yeah. And hopefully they'll make it to the right authorities so that uh, you know, so that we know that we get to hear about these coming to the surface. And hell it could be in, you know, two hundred years. We don't know when these right. will be found or if they'll be found, or if there's more out there. Than, than what he actually dug up right. and used. We he don't implied know. that there were, but, you know, mm-hmm. what we know of him is that he is a liar. Right. And, right. you know, never um, 
never tired of screwing with the police and screwing with the FBI. And so what is the truth of his history? We don't really know. But they did. The FBI has said, you know, like if you find one of these, if you find a buried five gallon bucket full of ammunition and a gun. Try not to touch it very much and call the police <laughs> because they are like kill kit. Yeah. 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 Then, you know, they are still trying to investigate what they believe to be his yeah. victims. Yeah. So. So let's OK, let's let's do this this way. So his last victim. Was a. We'll, we'll do it backwards because I think it's easier this way. So his last victim was a barista in Anchorage, which is where he was living. Right. Her name was Samantha Koenig, and she was working at a little coffee hut. And he, they actually have video of him kidnapping her from the coffee hut. Mm-hmm. And, you know, her poor family is just devastated and they're looking for her everywhere and they're, on the news and they're doing flyers for her and everything. And then they get a text from her phone and it's a ransom demand. Yeah. And what he asks for is $30,000. Well, the reason he's asking for that is because he has her debit card. Yeah. And so he's telling them, put her rant, put this ransom in her debit, in her account so that I can get it or I'm going to kill her. So, Dad doesn't have $30,000 to give him. He puts $5,000 in in there. And then Keyes starts withdrawing the money. Yeah. At various places. He's mostly in Texas. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, but they never seem to get to him in time. Yeah. And he sends them um, as proof of life a video of, or a picture of Samantha holding a newspaper and it says February 13th. And she was taken like two weeks prior to that. Yeah. Unfortunately, what they don't know is that that was her dead body. Right. He put makeup on her. And sewed her eyelid with fishing line. To make her look alive. Yes. So what really happened to Samantha is he took her directly to his house and chained her up in his shed. Girlfriend and daughter in the house, Mm -hmm. apparently clueless. He rapes her and murders her. And the next morning leaves for a cruise in the Caribbean. Yep. Is gone for two weeks on vacation with his family, with this body in his shed as though nothing is happening. I mean, you talk about psychopath to be able to just go act like everything's fine and normal. Mm -hmm. When he gets back, he makes her up with makeup, sews her eyelids open with fishing line, does the ransom demand. Apparently commits some necrophilia with her because that was one of his things also. And then cuts her body up and goes freaking ice fishing. This kills me because we know all about ice fishing. Our dad was an ice fisherman. Goes out on a local lake. augers open, you know, holes to fish in. Yep. Drops. Portions of her body weighted down through the ice fishing hole. Mm -hmm. Then fishes. And as he's telling the story to a police officer, the police officer says, did you catch any fish? And he said, yeah. He said, what did you do with the fish? And he said, well, I took them home and ate them. (laughs) 
after he dropped this obviously decomposing body into the lake. Yeah. I mean, this is... Like, that wasn't... The, the officers were just, like, horrified. Oh, yeah. The officers he said acted he was like, just sick over of that. Of course he did. Yeah. And he was like, well, duh. Mm-hmm. I was fishing. Of course I ate the fish. Mm-hmm. So that's what actually happened to Samantha Koenig. But, of course, her family didn't know that at the time. So he finally screws up. And, it, you know, he had been... They had not suspected him for one freaking second over Samantha Koenig or anything else. No one had ever looked at keys for anything. They had no idea. No. So at one of the ATMs where he was using her debit card, he he was in a white Ford Focus that turned out to be a rental car. And they didn't get the license plate, but they started like pulling over white Ford Focuses in Texas. And an officer pulls him over and asks for his ID and he gives him his real driver's license Uh and he sees he's from Alaska Mm -hmm. and, you know, he knows this is the guy. So they arrest him right there and take him into custody and, you know, he gets um, extradited to Alaska. Well, and her, some of her belongings are in the car. Yes. The phone, the phone, the debit card, the. Her yeah. driver's license. He's got a bunch of her stuff. So it's, yeah, it, you know, it's a done deal. Yeah. Yeah. So there, the interrogation of him and then the questioning of him that goes on forever. There's like 40 hours of, of interrogation with him. And it's not all about the Samantha Koenig case. It's about all these other cases that we sort of know about. Mm-hmm. But they, he... They start asking him, you know, about Samantha Koenig and, you know, starting to wonder what's going on with him and if he's going to tell him the truth or not. And he tells them. And he starts alluding to other crimes. Yeah. And he tells them, I will tell you everything you want to know, including all the gory details. If you can guarantee me, I will be executed and I want a date. When will it be? Yeah. He wants and the, the death police are like, and he wants it now. Yeah. yeah. And the police were like, well, I mean, that's not really up to us. You know, like um, they said, well, you know, the more murders you tell us about, the more likely you are to get the death penalty. Like, but because they wouldn't guarantee that he held back a lot of information. Yeah. But he did basically spill the Samantha Koenig story about everything that he had done. They went to the lake. They found her body. It was all true. But then he starts alluding to these other crimes. Yeah. And the police are like, come on, you got, come on, man, you got to give us something. Well, it becomes this absolutely ridiculous negotiation that goes on for a huge amount of time, trying to get tiny little bits of information out of him. If you listen to some of the interrogation uh, recordings or watch the videos, it is so freaking aggravating because the majority of it is nothing but him just pulling BS and trying to get more of this or that or whatever. Yeah. Kind of weird small talk and just, yeah. yeah. Like kind of trying to buddy up to the police and to the FBI agents and stuff in just creepy freaking ways. And they just buy into all of it. Mm-hmm. At one point, he was demanding um, an Americano from Starbucks, a Snickers bar, and this one particularly particular brand of cigar. Yeah. 
And so they'd get him whatever he wanted because they were just desperate to like, who else did you kill? What else have you done? Because nobody ever suspected this fool of anything. And so they're desperate to find out what else he's got. So he finally gives them a name. Well, names uh, of a couple that he killed in Vermont. Yeah. And why can't I find that? Anyway, I'll tell you their names in just a minute. So oh, he tells Yes. There you go. In so, 2011. In 2011. So he says that he broke into their house, he robbed them, he took them to an abandoned house of some sort. Yeah, a, a, an abandoned farmhouse that he had yeah. chosen and, and had Before. already scoped out and was ready for. Yeah, he was like staying in a hotel in this in this town of Vermont that he had one of these murder caches buried there. So he was just going to go find a place that was the easiest. He found a house where he he decided he was going to kill a couple this time because he had absolutely no preference. It was literally just about murdering. He did not have a preference at all, which is a really weird thing for a serial killer. Right. Um, he, he told investigators that they basically chose him. He didn't choose mm-hmm. them they just emerged and that was the opportunity and he had the, right. the feeling and off he went like samantha koenig's coffee hut was open late and she was there alone boom mm-hmm. there was the opportunity so he goes to bill and the ring's house the reason he chose their house is because he could see that it was a couple that lived there and it was easy to get into their garage to get into their house that's how he chose them and there were no children and no pets yes yes because he had decided he wasn't hurting children after he had a daughter he decided he wasn't hurting any children. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he and did animals, at least one. Yep. And pets make it more likely for you to get caught. So he didn't want any dogs. Right. Didn't want any kids. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So he sneaks into their house. He kidnaps them, basically takes them to this old farmhouse that he's already prepared for them. Mm-hmm. Um, he ties up Bill and then he has Lorraine upstairs and I think he was going to rape her. Well, Bill gets loose, and so he has to kill Bill. So he shoots him a bunch of times, and then he kills Lorraine. Mm-hmm. And he just leaves their bodies in this farmhouse. Mm-hmm. So this is in 2011, mm-hmm. right? So it's been about a year since he yeah. did that when he's talking with the police and the FBI get involved because this is in another state. And so he tells them where the, te- where the house is. Well, in the meantime, the house has been torn down. And hauled off to a landfill. Apparently with no one even knowing there were bodies inside. So this huge hunt, it took a hunt. They they searched for 112 days. This huge group of people were searching this landfill for these bodies. They never found them. Yeah. So I have a little clip for you that I want you to hear. This is him he's talking with some FBI agents and they are talking, they're negotiating again, trying to get more information from him. And he's asking about if they've found Bill and Lorraine's bodies in the landfill. And I want you to listen. This is, it's a little hard to hear and understand. So turn, turn everything up. I want you to really pay attention when he starts to say, I almost feel guilty. 
through inspiration, we got New York. And then that immediately generated this letter of, of intent. So, but in order to kind of keep, I think, Vermont on board, it, it certainly would be nice to kind of say, all right, you know, based upon your letter, we also got uh, X, the name, the name of a, a victim, the right. location of a body. And, you know, we already have their assurance about the courier matter. You don't have to worry about what's happening with, with that, because that's all tied up in this, and we could do the same thing with the New York thing. Right. Where are they at with the... I mean, did they find the bodies yet? Or? I think it's, it's like a football field where the stuff yeah. they're going through. They're making they're making progress, but it's just a, it's it could still be like a couple weeks or something. Yeah, it definitely. They're not going to stop. This is you know a tenacious. One of the best analogies I've heard for it is it's more like an archaeological dig. Uh, it was just going through and kind of tossing things right until you find what you think you're looking for. Yeah, that's a lot of trouble. I almost feel guilty. <laughs> Costing the taxpayers a lot of money to find those. But <laughs> just kept my mouth shut. <laughs> but that's how committed the you know the FBI. No, is I understand. They you know. It just well, it sounds it. like they've got it. They've got the area. They just got to find it now. Okay, so I almost feel guilty. Costing the taxpayers a lot of money. If only I just kept my mouth shut. Yeah. Not guilty that he murdered them and left their bodies there. No. This is the kind of sociopath this dude is. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this was a good example. There are hours and hours and hours. You can go listen to him if you can stand the terrible audio of all of the, um, you know, interviews with him. But that really struck me. I almost feel guilty. Because I'm costing the taxpayers a lot of money. You know, maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut. I mean, yeah. can you get sicker than that? Yeah. This dude. And what they That's were trying to do. So they'd made an agreement with Vermont. And this was all the stuff that he was trying. He decided he, he wanted to keep this all out of the press. That he didn't want everybody to know about it. And I, he was just making shit up, I think. Yeah. Um, and so he'd made their, they'd gotten this letter from Vermont about an agreement that they were making about these murders. And he had alluded to killing someone in New York and they were trying desperately to get a name from him about who that was something, mm -hmm. because all he said is he killed someone in New York. He didn't give a name, a gender, a location, nothing. No, he gave very little away and he was just playing with the police and he was just yeah. playing with everyone. And so they were just desperately trying to get him to admit, like, who else did you kill? Where are these bodies? Like, what's, what he is the situation? So much attention. He you was. Know, he, all mm -hmm. of these men that were kind of buying into his bullshit and kind of pretending to be his friend. And he yeah. was just eating up every second of it. Yeah. To to watch the uh, interrogations, it's horrifying because they're friends with him. They're joking with him. He's laughing. And the FBI agents and the police talked about how horrifying and hard that was for them. But they knew that if they didn't play his game, he would not tell yeah. them. And that that's what they were looking for. Is they just wanted some answers. They just wanted some closure for families. Yeah. Well, in typical psychopath style instead of giving this information up instead of standing trial 
and taking accountability for the things that he had done. Yeah. Instead, Israel Keys killed himself in prison. Yep. So this was on December 2nd, 2012. So he, he was arrested in 2012. Like he wasn't in jail for very long. No. No. So he um, slit his wrists with a razor and strangled himself. He was making damn sure he was getting the job done. He was leaving. Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't get them to guarantee when they were going to execute him. Mm -hmm. And he was way too damn selfish to be bothered with spending a lot of time in prison. And so he just killed himself. He didn't care. He didn't believe anything. He didn't have any um, beliefs about, you know, like an afterlife or what happens after no. you die or anything like that. He, he believed it was that he, he was an atheist and it was all done when you were done. Yep. So he did leave a suicide note. If you can call it that mm-hmm. I'm going to read it for you because it's incredibly hard to read this and someone very kindly, I will give them credit. It is the murder, murder, murder.com website and they have the suicide note. So I'm going to read it to you. Murder, murder, murder.com. <laughs> I sounds like my kind of website, to be perfectly honest. What should we name the website? I just think a lot of murder. Murder, murder, yeah. murder. Murder, murder, Works. murder. I seems seems kind of familiar, frankly. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna read you this because yeah. So the police were really hoping, like, oh, he left a suicide note. Maybe he like gave us some clues or you know, left a confession. Oh no. He was way too important for that. Mm-hmm. Here's what it says. Where will you go, you clever little worm, if you bleed your host dry? Back in your ride, the night is still young. Streetlights push back and black in neat rows. Off to the right, a graveyard appears. Lines of stones, bodies molder below. Turn away, quick, bob your head to the seat. As straight through the stop sign you roll, loaded truck with lights off slams into your broadside, your flesh smashed as metal explodes. You may have been free. You loved living your life. Fate had its own scheme. Crushed like a bug, you still die. Soon now, you'll join those ranks of dead, or your ashes the wind will soon blow. Family and friends will shed a few tears. Pretend it's off to heaven you go, but the reality is you were just bones and meat. And with your brain died, also your soul. Send the dying to wait for their death in the comfort of retirement homes. Quietly, quickly say, it's for the best. It's best for you, so their fate you'll not know. Turn a blind eye back to the screen. Soak in your reality shows. Stand in front of your mirror and you preen in a plastic castle you call home. Land of the free, land of the lie, land of scheme, Americanize. Consume what you don't need, stars you idolize. Pursue what you admit is a dream, then it's American die. Get in your big car so you can go to work fast on roads made of dinosaur bones. Punch in on the clock and sit on your ass, stupid playing stupid ass games on your phone. Paper on your wall says you got smarts. The test that you took told you so. 
but you would still crawl like the vermin you are once your precious power grid's blown. Land of the free, land of the lie, land of the scheme, Americanize. Now that I have you held tight, I will tell you a story. Speak soft in your ear so you know that it's true. You're my love at first sight, and though you're scared to be near me, my words penetrate your thoughts now in an intimate prelude. I looked in your eyes, they were so dark, warm, and trusting, as though you had not a worry or care. The more guileless the game, the better potential to fill up those souls with your fear. Your face framed in dark curls like a portrait, the sun shone through highlights of red. What color, I wonder, and how straight will it turn, plastered back with the sweat of your blood? Your wet lips were a promise of a secret, unspoken, nervous laugh as it burst like a pulse of blood from your throat. There will be no more laughter here. I feel your body tense up, my hand now on your shoulder. Your eyes forget the lady called luck. She does not abide near me, for her powers don't extend to those who are dead. Something unintelligible. Would that I could keep you, let you be the master of your own fate, knowing full well what's at stake. My pretty captive butterfly, colorful wings my hand smears. I somehow repaint them with punishment and tears. Violent metamorphosis emerge my dark moth princess. I would come often and worship on the altar of your flesh. You shudder with revulsion and shrink far from me. I'll have you tied down and begging to become my Stockholm sweetie. Okay, talk is over. Words are placid and weak. Back it with action or all comes off cheap. Watch close while I work now. Feel the electric shock of my touch. Open your trembling flower or your petals I'll crush. That's what he left from his suicide. I mean, that's not haunting. No, that's not creepy as hell, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. Um, that earlier, the stuff at the beginning, I, it sounds to me like some of the stuff that he, that really anti-government stuff. Um, I was thinking sounds... that's an interesting nod to the power grid going down mm-hmm. from a kid who was raised with none. Right. Yeah. And it, it sounds a lot like the, uh, the church he was raised in. Yes. Very white supremacist, anti-government stuff. Mm-hmm. So in his cell, they found, and they actually found these before he died, but this was something that this is sort of what he left the world with. These are 12, well, there are 12 pictures here, but 11 of them are skulls and they are drawn in blood, which they believe it's his blood. Yeah. And then one is the goat or a pentagram, you know, I guess a nod to his satanism or whatever but um this has made uh the fbi think that he had 11 victims that there was a skull for each victim you know we don't know because all he did was screw with the fbi and with the police Mm -hmm. and try to get whatever he could out of them and tell you know give them little tiny bits of information here and there we honestly have no idea how many he killed you know there are some cases that are maybe attributed to him Mm-hmm. Um, but we do not know really. Right. You know, he can confess to a murder in New York state. 
Um, oh, he did. He did also rob two banks, one in New York oh, yeah. and one in Texas. That's right. Forgot. Yeah. He also said that he um, burglarized and burned down a home in Texas. Yeah. And, you know, beyond that, we don't know. There are some cases attributed to him, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, and... he, it's hard because he would, when he went on one of these little killing jaunts, he would travel really far. So he might rent a car yeah. in one state, fly to a certain state, rent a car there, and then drive a thousand miles before he killed somebody. And yeah, then drive a thousand miles more, yeah, before he got on another plane to fly home. Yeah. So he did a lot of crisscrossing the U.S., but he also was in other countries. He was in Belize, mm-hmm. and, you know, as we know, he spent some time in Egypt when he was in the military. It's possible that he killed people in other countries. It's absolutely possible that he killed people on Indian reservations. Yeah. We don't well, know. Because he yeah. used to drive through Canada to Alaska yeah. and in, in, in some of the um, videos of the interrogations of him, uh, an officer did ask him if he killed anyone in Canada. And he said, Oh, Canada doesn't count. Yeah. So we don't know. Yeah. It, he does. He did admit to um, a sexual assault of a teenage girl in Oregon in 1996. Um, talked him into letting her. He said he was going to kill her, but she talked him into letting her go. Yeah, and he was so angry with himself for being so weak, and vowed that he would never be that weak again. Yeah, yeah, because it was such a risk. Yeah, to him. So things didn't didn't end with weirdness after he died. Katie, do you want to tell us a little bit about his funeral? So when he was in Texas, when he got caught, he was actually there for his sister's wedding. Yeah. And his mother and four sisters were there and their brothers-in-law and their, you know, you know, uber uh, orthodoxy Christian kind of, you know, faith here. And Mm -hmm. they tried really hard at the wedding. The pastor spoke for like 45 minutes, mostly to him about, Mm -hmm. you know, embracing Jesus and basically being saved. And it actually ended with him having a horrible outburst at the wedding. Yeah. uh, And telling his family, basically, he told his sister and brother-in-law, he said, you don't know what I have seen and what I have done and what I have been through. I have to drink every day to deal with that. And, you know, so it was, he had just had this big, awful thing with his family, but it's clear that they were completely unaccepting of him if he was not a part of their faith. Yeah. That also looking back to his dad, when he left the family's faith, when he was a teenager, his dad cut ties with him completely. And he stayed connected to mom and some of the siblings, but his dad cut him off completely at that point. So you know, this is this is the only family he really has, where the ones basically that he saw there. So mm-hmm. after he dies, they decide to have a funeral, which honestly, like, what? Yeah. Why? Yeah. And so they bring his body back 
to the uh, lower 48, I believe to, now I can't remember. I think they did it in Washington. Okay. But they have this small funeral that actually only the mom and those four sisters and three brother-in-laws attend mm-hmm. to try to save him. Well, they can't save him, according mm-hmm. to the pastor. They can't save him. He's burning in hell. The, pa- yeah. the funeral was mostly about how he's burning in hell and eternal damnation, but we'll continue to pray for him anyway. Yeah. It was in no way about his victims. It was no. in no way about the, uh, you know, the, the chaos and the hurt that, and, you know, the death that he had caused. Nothing about that. It was basically about, uh, you know, just a big oratory on how he's now in hell because he didn't uh, accept Jesus and he committed these crimes. But mostly it wasn't about the crimes. It was about the fact that he didn't join their church. It is right. really sick. The whole thing right. is sick as hell. Yeah. One of the pastors said Israel rejected the gospel and thus the outcome of his life is this tragic story. Yeah. As though leaving his religion of his childhood actually caused him to be a serial killer and, and then kill himself, which was horrible. I mean, it kind of gives you some insight into why he people. was yeah. who he was. Yeah, which isn't yeah. an excuse for what he did in any way whatsoever, but it does offer some insight into the pressure that was on him, the treatment yeah. that he received because he rejected that religion. Yeah. Uh, very interesting but yeah, his family, what the hell? Yeah, just it's, unreal. The fact that he they moved his body all the way down to Washington and had a funeral and why? Right, like why? You know, was, was why no... wasn't he just cremated and a funeral? That yeah. it's me. Yeah. One last opportunity to jab him, I guess. I think so. And, and not that he didn't deserve that. I mean, it's just it's just weird. It is weird. And you know, um, in one of the interrogations, he told a police officer, there are two of me. And and the police officer said, oh, yeah, how long has that been going on? And he said, 14 years. Yeah. And the officer said, I, I took that to, to mean that he's been a serial killer for 14 years. Yeah. So that would have been in, ni- in 1998, which is when he left the military. Yeah. Is when there became two of him. Because no one in his life suspected this. No. No, the he people, could have gone on killing for a really long time had he not yeah, made that one mistake. Totally. The people in a your cat startled me so bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. She's <laughs> standing behind me if you're watching the video. If you're not, uh, Katie just the got her, case. her heart stopped. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Let me just tamp down this panic in my heart. And <laughs> he uh, was in Alaska. I mean... He was doing business with people. He worked for, when he lived on the reservation, he worked for the reservation, mm-hmm. doing construction and handyman stuff. He had his own business doing some construction stuff, and everyone mm-hmm. liked him. Yeah. Had the police said he was the about him. kind of guy that they would give your, you'd give his house, your house key to him and let him work on your house when you weren't home. Yeah. I mean, when he's talking about there were two of him, he was not kidding. Mm-hmm people around him had no idea and that's unusual because a lot of these others that we've covered people are like yeah they were weird you know right there wasn't a lot of that with israel no well do you know that forensically the only thing they have ever found of him is a single fingerprint yeah and they confronted him with it and said hey uh we just found a fingerprint of yours and it was in one of the in the bucket i think 
Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I can't remember what it was for sure. But they actually, he, they said, you know what? We found your fingerprint. And he's like, no, you didn't. And they're like, no, we really did. We really did. And he's like, wow. I mean, I'm kind of, kind of makes me feel like an idiot. I just really screwed up. But literally forensically, I mean, that's how aware and smart he was. I mean, above all of this, he was incredibly intelligent mm-hmm. to have made this happen for so long before anybody yeah. figured it out. Yeah. Well, you guys, that's our take on Israel Keys. Yep. You can't get weirder than this. Maybe you can. We probably you will. But yeah, hold, you know. hold our hold our DDP. It'll yeah, change. Yeah. It will. <laughs> it will. Yeah. It's true. But this has been our presentation of Israel Keys. And you know it. We are here. Uh this is our Tuesday show. So yeah. we will be back again on Wednesday with a another great case for the week and we'll be back wednesday night at 7 p.m mountain for our case update live stream we'll be back again on thursday at 7 p.m mountain for our psychic hour live stream so well and our wednesday case this week is jelaine maxwell yes going to examine uh, her relationship with jeffrey epstein what's going on in her case where she's at right now what's happening so that we can continue to track that case with you guys. So yeah, that is what tomorrow's case will be all about. And that it's super important. It's something we have to keep an eye on because, you know, she's got to yeah. be held accountable. She's got to be held to account. So mm-hmm. we, we, we will be back with that. Yeah. So we, we can get weirder. We're about to trust me. I'm afraid so. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters. Thanks for being here. Take care. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.